This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guests on Off the Shelf are Bill Gormley. Bill is the president of the Gormley Group, and he's also chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Um, and Tom Sisti is also joining us. He's executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and we're going to be talking all things uh, procurement, a like sort of procurement potpourri. We're you know, six months into the new year and you know, I guess five months into a new administration. Uh, lots going on in the policy area, in particular around uh, government-wide contracting. So I couldn't think of two better folks to have come on the show and share their thoughts. And so, guys, let's just get let's get it rolling and talk uh, first about the schedules program. I know that's near and dear to Bill's heart in particular um, and just where it is. I think it, um, you know, one of the things to get your insights, Bill, because I think it's a recurring pattern is that you saw a significant growth in schedule sales over the last year. And um, you know, any thoughts on that? I think the five billion last year, I think that I think it's an estimated increase for sales. Um and that was during a pandemic. So I, I'm sure a lot of it was for the use of uh, services and products associated, you know, with the pandemic. And as well as the, uh, I guess people are ordering from home. Uh, when, you, when, <laughs> when you think of that, right? I mean, right, right. So I'm, I'm not sure if, it, if it's easier to buy from home than it is in the office. Maybe that's another thing we can talk about. But also the, uh, I think, couple things and and i think we just had that you just had the the, the spring training conference roger so i'm sure a lot of folks have heard that today but to start off with you know while it's always easy to make recommendations of programs i'll give uh, gsa credit for following through on combining consolidating the schedule in in phase three and wrapping up phase two so it hats off to them on that and i know the the beta you know, uh, test they had for Sam kind of had a little rough start. I'm not quite sure where it is today, but you know, at least they've got it to, they got rid of the betas so and now they're really having to, to fine tune it. So those are two big heavy lifts over the past, uh, you know, 24 months, 18 to 24 months at least. So we'll start off with that. But I think part of all of that, you know, leads to a, dis- leads, leads to a discussion of, um, Training, I know, is an easy topic to talk about, and it's easy to second-guess people. But, you know, I think there's a real need to have a, a training session for the, at least the contracting people under the schedules program because there's been such significant change. And, and we're talking about the operational level, and maybe at the policy level too, but the operational level to carry out all these changes that have come through is, we interface a lot with the uh, the operational folks, and you know, the, even this last this past week when we you know, we get the company together and we talk about things. But you know, one statement made by a contracting officer that you know floored me. They stated that you cannot add services or products to your schedule for the purpose of growing your business. You know, and so I, and then another one from a different region 
says you can't add a, a new special item number to your to your contract and with products and services. I mean, if you don't have the, if you're not browsing the services, you don't add a new SIM. So I mean, th- these are indicators of indeed to really have some. I don't mean call. I hate to call it basic training, but there are folks that they brought in, um, which is nice. They're hiring people, but I think in fairness to to put them uh, as a face of the program to industry and and really make these kind of statements shows, you know, a need for training. I'll, I'll put it that way. Well, to your point, um, it is basic training. It's like the fundamentals of government procurement and they have, you know, and the folks need the skills, you know, and the knowledge base to be able to execute on behalf of the government. And, you know, because at the end of the day, those positions will hurt the customer because it results in delays and getting product under contract at fair and reasonable prices I mean, the other thing along those lines is just the the consistency with uh, the GSAR in terms of price negotiation approaches, but even more fundamentally with the FAR. And when you're comparing, you know, pricing in the context of uh, transactional data reporting and the consideration of terms and conditions and differing terms and conditions and what the value of those are, but, you know, that that you're seeing a, a lack of execution on those kind of things as well. So I, I think it's almost like a fast 2021 for GSA acquisition workforce internal would be a wonderful thing to do, I think. So, Tom, you have any thoughts? I think that there's a, there's sort of this un, uh, unspoken uh, issue uh, or not given enough, an issue that's not given enough credit. And that is that if you don't have consistency in the execution of the program, you disincent use of the program. You disincent the use um, on, on the agency side where they start going out and doing their own things, uh, which then leads to contract duplication. Or you uh, disincent uh, vendors coming into the space because you have to remember that it's always a, a cost alternative uh, decision that they're going to make. And if they, they see that this is just dragging too much administrative cost out of me, I can I can fo- focus my efforts elsewhere. They will, so it hurts. The, you know, it kind of has a spiraling effect on the program. So it hurts the program, hurts the hurts the vendors, it hurts the agency users. Um, so the, most importantly, uh, I, I mean, as Bill said at the very beginning, you know, it's easy to talk about uh, training because you know training is always the first topic discussed, and it's the first item on a budget list that gets whacked. Okay, and and uh, but it's probably the most critical. Uh, because again, if you don't have this level of consistency across programs, you really could do damage. Right. Well, to to your point, you know, when you when you to Bill's point, GSA has done a great job, you know, with the consolidation and moving forward on that. Yes. Yeah, and they're working on the systems and making progress on those. Um, yeah, so there's there's these pieces of the puzzle, and you know, so, so I think really what we're saying is time to focus on that human capital piece. Right. to try to develop that. Hey, Bill, any other thoughts on the, where the schedules are right now? Well, I think we, you know, we talked about GSA here. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to leave VA out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, VA is, uh, has the, the schedules program as well. And, and the, the common thread here is that it's the VA also needs training as well. I mean, there's, there's uh you know, just one practical or just one example, I guess, of what's going on. We're, we're de- we've been dealing with someone for a long time on prosthetics. 
and you hear where VA from the top and throughout the VA, people talk about their mission to serve the veteran and offer them the latest and greatest health care and other benefits that they provide, which is the mission of the, of the department. And yet at the contracting level, you know, when you think of a prosthetic, there, there's not one, one prosthetic fits all a product in. And so, but the contracting officer, uh, a, a, a company who was asked by the medical staff to get a VA schedule to offer their prosthetics. Uh, and, and so they did that and they're going through it, but the contracting officer rejected it because they had, had the word custom, customization associated with the product. And that one word, uh, the contracting officer refuses to let, to let the, the product line come under, but it's, it's basically a commercial way they, they describe what they do. So these are the business sides, Roger. I don't want to you know, get too deep into all this, but it's just the, it's like, what are we here for is, you know, and I think we're trying to make things more difficult and also the perform and that's on the VA side. But so there's a con, there's a common thread through both the, both agency and department there on the, the, I don't think training has been uh, conducted for quite a while. I know we had the one year, pandemic and all that and everybody likes to do virtual but i think sometimes it's good to have a a good business meeting with people who have a voice in a room and then it uh, creates a whole different dialogue so that's that's kind of about you know i'll I'll stop on the training side i think we made our points um well we're up on that time bill but to your point customization is the commercial practice for that particular product so why would it not fit in the program and the last point i think on the va and then we'll have to take the break is that, you know, the VA is very interested and motivated to utilize some of GSA systems and capabilities to leverage that across government. I think there's a great opportunity, a wonderful opportunity there to support the veterans with GSA and VA working together on systems and whether it's e-offer and other systems that currently support the schedules that could be leveraged, the GSA schedules that could be leveraged over at the VA. And we'll see where that goes. But but we do have to take a break. When we come back, we'll we'll continue our discussion on government-wide contracting. Maybe we'll, you know, you know, see if there's anything else you want to talk about about schedules before moving on to you know BICMAC or what's currently now known as the Services Mac. My guests today are Bill Gormley. He's the president of the Gormley Group and chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement, and Tom Sisti. He is executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guests today are Bill Gormley. He's the president of the Gormley Group, and Tom Sisti, executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. Um, and when we took the break, we, were, we spent the first segment talking about the schedules. I think we had two more little items we wanted, or not so little items we wanted to <laughs> touch on in the schedules context, Bill. Uh, I think one of them was TDR and the other was office package program, which is a furniture program. So I want you to talk a little bit about TDR first. So TDR, transactional data reporting. I mean, if, if the listeners uh, have a schedule, then they, they obviously should be aware of it. If they're not, they should look into it. I think it's a, a step that GSA uh, took, uh, I don't know, three or three, four years ago. Yeah. was a pilot. Three years ago, I believe. Yep. This is actually a pilot that landed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It sure did. And so, yeah. and so you know, GSA said they were going to uh, evaluate it based on uh, 
you know, the results of the program or the data they had. And I guess they went through, you know, ups and downs in the evaluation process over time. I guess maybe they, it took TDR time to mature enough so they could have enough sufficient data. And so, as many people may know or may not know, Jeff Kosis, who's, who's in charge of the acquisition side of GSA on policy, term executive, um, may have made a determination that the TDR pilot um, results were in and that it, the program showed that it was successful and that it was up to the policy folks now at FAS to further uh, implement the policy side of that and expand it um, you know, where appropriate. So I think that's, I think that's a, Roger, that's a good overall indication of, the, of, of demonstrating that the market volatility on pricing, you know, can't be met under the, under the current existing multi-board schedule policy, you know, with the, with the commercial sales practice. It's just not, it just can't do it. And the IG has, has you know, recognition they, they provide a service, a valid, you know, a, a, a warranted service. And I think, uh, you know, the commercial sales practice has always been a defective pricing. It's always been an area. And I think that, you know, this is going to allow, you know, more sunshine to, to be in this area of, hey, this is the way the market is running and that the government, you know, net net is supposed to be getting fair and reasonable pricing. And I think the competition at the task order level or first order level really allows that and, and the schedules host that capability. So. Like, that's a long statement on TDR, but I think that's to GSA's credit. Now they got to now they got to further implement it. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. It sort of it reflects where the market is and currently going. Yeah. And you know the commercial sales practices is like is a you know oversight mechanism that's after the fact trying to you know hold people accountable for certain pricing decisions. Tom, you know what does this say about the role of data? Yeah, you know, when you talk about TDR. Well, I think to Bill's point, it's it just says that the the market, the world, is evolving towards digitization generally, and towards the use of data and defined metrics to evaluate the ongoing performance of a program relative to the articulated vision of the program, um, and you know to allow, theoretically at least from a management standpoint. Um, uh, management to, I, to, to view what the program is doing and um, commit to making uh, remediating action, taking remediating action, or, um, or canceling a program that doesn't, you know, uh, look like it's going to turn out the way it was envisioned. But the whole idea is that data, um, this, this use of TDR occurs in a greater context, and that is that... Um, because of the rapid speed of technological evolution, certainly in the IT realm, and just in, in uh, relative to the needs of agencies in mission fulfillment, um, the actions under a contract need to be more real-time rather than retrospective. Right. And uh, the only way you do that is by leveraging different data elements, identifying metrics, and, and uh, constantly managing and measuring performance um, uh, as it takes place. Right. Yeah, that's you know, Roger Gill mind. The the objective, I think I think it, it's recognized that every whether organization or single individuals, everybody wants to get the best price. Okay. I mean just from a philosophical or an objective standpoint, 
and and basically nobody gets the best price because it's a it's a changing market right, right. And so i think the way the way it's set up now is like you know there's a stake in the ground on the commercial sales practice and that and nothing nothing moves away from it but the mark to to tom's point the, the market has, has moved away and then the csp and the contractors sitting there and having to hold their ground and that that's becoming harder to hold their ground on a compliance just by nature of business i think this is an idea i think uh, if i read correctly this morning it was a uk last year they were holding off buying the vaccination because they wanted the best price in the world and it had a negative impact on them. And, and yeah. so, I mean, it's just it. nobody, and I know it's not the proper thing to say, but nobody does get the best price. There's too many there's variables. Too many variables. Right, there's right. Many variables in there. But anyway. or, or if uh, the people can't get their mind around that, <laughs> you, yeah. you can get the best price at that millisecond. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Under a certain set of variables. But you have to be open to the fact that the market's going to change. If you bought lumber... Two months ago, you had a much different price than you're, you're going to pay today. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so off pa- office packaged uh, program uh, or packaged office, excuse me, at uh, GSA and the furniture. Just a couple thoughts on what that is and well, um, where it is right now, Bill. Yeah. Well, the IG did a review of the program, and uh, the program has been around. I know sometimes it can play with play for you or against you, but it's been around about 25 years. And the reason it was set up is basically no different than, than the need for it today is from a customer focus standpoint. And I was, you know, and I have, I have some background in this, so I can speak with some experience and not, you know, with real examples, but when, when someone's setting up an agency or department, even now with, with the COVID where people are going to be changing the work environment, you know, there may be multiple products that were, products from multiple companies and to have someone sit down and figure it all out internally within the agency, uh, it becomes, it becomes very difficult and to try and get what fits them the best for their environment. You know, the, the package office was set up, which really reduces the, the, the total acquisition cost, the program. Um, and by having, you know, one, one entity to talk to and that entity can go ahead and, and provide all those products from ver- multiple uh, OEMs and, and take care of it as a one order deal instead of hundreds or thousands of orders. And so that's the reason it was set up. And that's lost in here. I think in, in, in fairness to the IG, maybe they didn't have the, they don't have to have the cus- I don't think they have the customer's perspective, <laughs> which is why the program was set up. And I think that that did not play out in, in the, at least the report that we saw. And, um, and I know people have, uh, you know, what started the program, I think was uh, one of the agencies was setting up a new facility and order all the, all the stuff was being ordered independently by a lot of different people and everything was coming in the lamps, the desks, the chairs, the, the, all the wall art, all that was coming in. And, but the basic fundamental need for that agency was carpet and the carpet got back ordered. And so, I don't want to get into it all here, but I think you can just imagine the logistics of they had to move this stuff two or three times. The carpet finally came in, but products get damaged when you keep handling them. So it was a significant cost. The customer came, talked to me and just about took my head off, which was good. And said, we got to figure this out. And so that's kind of what's was behind some of this. Now, hopefully GSA sees the light to, uh, 
hopefully look at this and reevaluate and see how they can uh, maybe better explain their program you know, or maybe make better change. If they need to make changes, fine. But net net, it's uh, it, it really serves the customer and it's grown quite a bit over the years as a whole. Right. It's a pro customer program as well as a pro small business program. So it's good. It's, and from that perspective. Small, yeah. They're all small businesses. And, yeah. even, and we don't want to base it just on that, but it's clearly with the administration's objective to increase yeah. uh, contracting. This is a, this is, this is a, a great example of what, small businesses can do for the government. So I hesitate to bring up this topic because we only got about a minute, minute and a half left, but uh, BICMAC, or now what is also known as the services uh, multiple award contract. Um, So I know it's been a big focus of lots of service providers and, um, you know, here, and it's the fall, it's the quote, I use quotes, follow on to Oasis, but is it really, I think is a big issue. And, Bill, just some opening, quick couple comments, and then we'll take a break, and we can pick it back up after we come back. Just as a kind of a teaser, I know, as obviously the coalition, I know that you've got a significant amount of feedback from industry, and industry doesn't mind providing comments in a general public setting sometimes, but sometimes they prefer to go through through the coalition. Uh, So, Roger, I know you've written things on this, so I think it's uh, going to be – uh, interesting topic when we come back. I'll leave it. Right. Well, thank you, Bill. Thanks for the tease. We'll take the break now. My guest today are Bill Gormley, president of the Gormley Group, chair of the coalition, Tom Sisti, executive vice president, general counsel for the coalition uh, for government procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today, Bill Gormley, President of the Gormley Group, Chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement, Tom Sisti, Executive Vice President, General Counsel at the Coalition for Government Procurement. And guys, when we took the break, we had just teased uh, BICMAC, or also known as the Services MAC, I guess now. Uh, Bill, your your opening thoughts. Well, I think it's uh, it's always, I guess this is going to be a follow-on contract, right? Is- right was the intent here for Oasis. So, um, so you'd always, you always look at it to see where improvements can be made. We've talked about changes to the schedules program before this, this segment. And so I think here it, it's logical to go ahead and review, review a program, but I think, but to move totally away from it. Uh, what is it? Is it 10 or nine or $10 billion? <laughs> yeah. And an annual basis last year did over $10 billion. Yeah, and they got major DOD customers. I think they also have a major internal GSA customer who uses that as well for, for other agencies and departments. Bill, you're absolutely right. They have some major customers. The Department of Defense is the biggest user of it. It's a strategic vehicle for them. And, and you know, FedSim um, and the Assisted Services uh, uh, Office at GSA also uses this as a strategic vehicle uh, platform. So it's going to be interesting what the, you know, overall impact on those programs and those customers in this context as well. You have yeah. other thoughts, Bill? Well, the, the, obviously the key component here is the customer. All right. I mean, I think we get the three-legged stool. We got GSA, you got industry uh, together there to serve the, the government, you know, the government, ultimate government customer. So, you know, it's like how much effort do you put into trying to move away from a program and start a new one is, I guess, is a question because it does create confusion, you know, for a lot of people, even internally at GSA. And that doesn't, that doesn't say people aren't up for change, Roger, but I think the key is 
you know, we got, there's a lot going on. We've already talked about that in contracting. And I think as the, I think the recompete is being reviewed. I think it's like, how do you build upon what you already, the success you already have in getting the feedback from the customers. And it just seems like GSA is driving this uh, initiative. And, um, and I know you've mentioned it before, but you know, where's the business case? And now I understand GSA has said they are building the business case. Um, and I, and that's good. So I think that the customer's voice should be heard in that business case. Okay. And, and for GSA to figure out how to better serve that customer. And I think, you know, I know this is, uh, somewhat conflicts with the schedules program, but I think it's a different cut of, of within the industry uh, that this program has demonstrated the success on by having some kind of pre-qualified, uh, you know, evaluation to get the award, which is different than the schedules. Right. So, and to your point, they should pay attention to the customer, but there's not just the customers you're trying to get. There's the customers you already have. Right. And you want recurring revenue, right. At the end of the day, you taught me that bill. So, uh, Tom, have thoughts on, I know, in particular, the business case? Well, you know, if you step away from this, you're, you're reminded of um, two adages. One is, if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? And here you have a program, last year did $10 billion. It provided two channels, one for small businesses and one for not other, well, other than small businesses. 40% of that business went to small businesses. That's a big, big deal. And right now, we're trying to uh, nurture small businesses under this administration. So it's really hard to understand, like, what's the broken? And it goes to the second point, the second adage, which is ready, fire, aim. You, in my mind, you don't draft a business case after you started producing business plans or, or solicitation approaches. It's kind of like shooting an arrow into a tree and then painting a bullseye around it. <laughs> what you should be doing is conducting your business case first yeah. and then saying, okay, how is my plan going to meet this business case? And that business case will account for what might be broken. Maybe there's nothing broken. I just need to tweak something. But right now, it, it, the, the whole approach to this is, is kind of uh, challenging, let's just say, and confusing. Uh, I think to your point, like, you know, alternatives – what are we trying to do? Are there new features that are needed? But, exactly. to, but to articulate a vision and actually planning documents that, you know, that basically demonstrate a decision has been made and then say, but no, no, we're still doing a business case. It confuses the customer. It confuses industry. Well, it, and the, st- the stakes are very high because look, if this is meeting fundamental needs of agencies right now, right? And it is. Agencies don't perceive um, a a, a coherent plan going forward. They're going to duplicate, which is going to add administrative cost acquisition. It's going to challenge any new program you come up with and challenge all of the parallel programs to that program. So it's just it's it's um, it's better to start and slow it down, start it out the right way and do it in a methodical fashion. Right. And so any last thoughts on this bill? You know, how about cost reimbursement on schedule? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think they, you know, some may argue that that's not within the, the scope of the program, but, you know, and talking to you, Roger and others, you know, I think there's clearly an opportunity that this could be, that that could be added to the schedules program. Clearly with as much efforts being put into this big, big Mac or the 
Secret Service's Mac, uh, it would not take that much effort to to add the uh, cost reimbursement to the schedules program. Yeah. Yeah, and the context of that too is that GSA is asking thousands of companies potentially to yeah. to, to invest bid and proposal costs to 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 get on a vehicle that looks like, exactly like the schedules, except that has cost reimbursement. And so, if they're already on schedule, it'd be a much easier you know you know ability to modify that contract to add that capability as appropriate. Right? You have to work through all the policy issues, but it's almost like shifting. You know the uh, you know the the resources and shifting the work from one to another. Yes, Tom. Well, I mean, this goes again to the whole the importance of doing this thing in a logical fashion. You know, if you're doing a business case, your business case is going to assess, hey, um, what is out there? Can I leverage my existing mass contracting system and infrastructure uh, rather than creating a duplicative infrastructure for the services Mac? Um, uh, are customer agencies familiar with that process? Are you uh, uh, stakeholders like government contractors familiar with that process? The, st- the schedule is a high, high value source for small business contracting. Do I get to leverage uh, uh, that platform to expand small business contracting? Do you, um, do you avoid the unnecessary um, consequences of duplication? I mean, there are a whole bunch of issues that you can address by planning this right. And I think part of the business case analysis is going to have to be assessing um, if you can't stay with the current structure, then why you can't utilize the uh, already existing successful structure that you have in the schedules. Bill? Yeah, in regards to Tom's point here, here, here's the deal. For small business, the MAS program, the GSA's credit, the GSA program is the lowest cost entry to the federal market, period. There is no other program that offers the scope uh, that that gives vis- that gives the opportunity for anybody to sell to the government worldwide, and in some cases, the state government. And I think the the key here is that the customer has spoken under the schedules program for years, yes, and, and the customer's spoken under Oasis. But it seems like, I mean, if you kept changing the name of the schedules program, it would not be what it is today. <laughs> So it's like, you know, you can't, you just can't keep doing that and think you're modernizing it. And I think, uh, and, and I mean this with all good intent with GSA, because there's, I think there's a, there's not a pure recognition of what this change means, not only to the customer, but within the industry. It, it's, it, it's just, you can't just go back and forth and, and be, and changing ideas and because it costs money. And that's where industry is really, you know, has, has kind of found a, a sweet spot and a recognition of the value of the program. So they're willing to compete for that sweet spot uh, being Oasis. And I think GSA is, uh, I think that should be, you know, taken into consideration maybe more so than it has been so far. And uh, yeah, again, and with that customer, you know, demand as well. So we're at the break guys. When we come back, I think we're going to turn to, you know, something else that I know GSA has a big focus on, but, uh, but the entire federal government, and the private sector has a major focus on that's uh, cybersecurity and supply chain, you know, and especially in the wake of the recent ransomware attacks. My guests today are Bill Gormley. He's a president of Gormley Group, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement, and Tom Sisti. He's executive vice president and general counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walter, and my guest today, Bill Gormley, the uh, president of the Gormley Group, uh, chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement, and Tom Sisti, <coughs> executive vice president and general counsel for the coalition. And, you know, Tom, this is, uh, I know, an area you track and watch quite closely. Um, and then we're talking cybersecurity and, you know, supply chain and that sort of thing. And um, I know it was a big topic at our spring conference as well. Um, and I know, you know, the president just recently is, issued his executive order. Uh, you know, just so where, where are we right now? You know, if, you know, just big picture from a federal government perspective. Well, I think um, <laughs> I think we're in two places. One, we've we've got a lot on our plate with respect to the executive order. And two, I think people are nervous <laughs> given sure. given the current events. Right. But um, the executive order, I think. uh Everybody knows this executive order on cybersecurity was issued last month. Um, it, it contains a lot of positive elements, all right? Certainly, this notion of information sharing um, so that uh, people understand threats and incidents and risk. Uh, this is stuff that's been discussed for a long time, and it's nice to see it in an order. Um, cy- this whole notion of cyber incident reporting, the use of this zero-trust architecture, which treats everything, everybody as a risk. Um, uh, The centralization and streamlining of cybersecurity data to drive analytics. Again, this same as in procurement, this notion of of having an analytical focus um, and and, uh, in connection with uh, identifying and managing cyber risk. Um, the, The commitment to invest in the technology and the personnel to match this uh, a modernization goal for cybersecurity. I think we saw things like with respect to the um, the cloud, the uh, uh, the emphasis on uh, prioritizing trans uh, transition to the cloud, utilizing for the civilian agencies at least the FedRAMP process, which also would be modernized. Um, you know, uh, authenticating data and encrypting data in REST and uh, data in, in motion. So, so Tom, when you, when you talk about all these things and, you know, and it's, it is like, you know, we're all in this together, right? So in certain right. sense, do you see, do you see from a big picture in terms of standards and requirements and information exchanging is sort of, I know what the right, a merging of the government and commercial standards or is one, will one lead the other in the old days? We, and I'd say old in quotes, you know, like the commercial was going to drive things, right? Yes. Is this an area where the federal standards are eventually going to drive things or, you know, or is it going to be a holistic, both sides raising the standards? How do you see it playing out? I think um, right now we have a directive from top down. I think that to implement this and to make it effective, it also has to come from the bottom up. I think it can't, you know, top down directives last as long as there's a top to push down. Okay, uh, but to bring the order to this kind of meaningful implementation, uh, it's going to require a concerted effort, I think, of all the stakeholders involved that are working with these matters day to day. It's going to require collaboration with industry and it's going to require give and take, I think, on everybody's part. I think people are going to have to be open to and frankly, before being open to it, recognizing that the way they're doing business may not be the way they do it before. I mean, you look at the software sections to talk about providing a software bill of materials to talk about the provenance uh, 
of the components of software, where they're coming from, who's doing it, uh, whether we need to yank out software. I mean, these are these. This is this is stuff that may have been talked about before, but was never articulated in this fashion. This clearly, this directly, and I think it's going to require people also at the agency level, certainly the contractor stakeholder level, to be engaged in working on this to uh, to bring this idea of cyber to fruition. Because uh, you know, you look at some of the other initiatives like uh, the implementation of eight eighty nine. I mean. Um, and you can't just sit back and wait. You're going to have to move on this. Right. If you're a company right. and yeah. a government. Right. But but you, it's almost like that executive order was like what, over the years, all these ideas that government folks had about how to address security and the uh, the opportunity for the executive order, executive order and they were you know, they put them all in. Right. In a it it came out pretty fast. That's all I can say. Yeah. You know? So so, Bill, just from the perspective of this, it's, you know, I'm. I think Tom was sort of alluding to it at the end here. Is this, this this means lots of investment on the part of government contractors, um, you know, to comply with you know emerging and and continuing evolving government requirements in this area, but also provides opportunity. It seems to me is that's for those companies that you know provide cloud or other provide other capabilities to you know with regard to cyber defense. Um, you know, and even offense at a certain point, right? That um, the government's going to be looking at. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. Well, Tom's the expert here, but as far as the practical side of the business uh, world, the companies are going to have to pay attention to it, whether it's government or you know, prior to the order anyway. You know, you you hear you hear about all the, the cybersecurity ransomware and all that. You know, it's People, it, it's it's just, it's ratcheting up, I guess. And you got the Bitcoin payments. So people are. It's almost as though there's more temptation to hack now because of Bitcoin, and because right. you, you can't trace it. So I think I think we all, you know, not only through this order, but we in our own lives are going to see this more and more. And I think we just have to pay attention to what kind of instruments we use and what's what's the uh, safe, what's the capability they have as far as security. But on the, on the on the business side, companies are going to have to do it anyway. I mean, maybe not to the degree the government wants them to, but I think that's, I think that I like Tom's Tom has a great, you know, example of it's got to be from the bottom up. I mean, you know, it sounds good top down, but the bottom up is, is, is really where you're going to get everybody, you know, has to be game on here and, and understand throughout the work they do. That is this somewhere, is this something that will improve our security and, and not affect our systems. I mean, I think that's that's what's going to make it effective. Now, Tom, we got about a minute left. All right, just just quickly, if you think about everything that's happened, all right, we had a pipeline issue, we had a ferry issue, we had a hospital issue, we had a meat packing issue. Okay, Didn't we have the New York transit system too. Is yeah, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, transit. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you, all of that in a short period of time. There is going to be a a point where the company, the these companies are going to have to answer to a public outcry for liability. All right. And it's not, people are not going to be tolerating this idea that, okay, well, this happens and things like that. They're going to start calling for accountability. And I don't think you want to be in front of that bus when it's, you know, speeding down the highway. I think you want to, you want to be on the bus and driving it. Right. Yep. 
I think you're absolutely right when you stop to think about how frustrated people get when they're trying to get service, like, you know, on the phone or online and it doesn't go through. If this, right. You know, they're going to say, hey, wait a second, what gives here? Bill, one, one final thought. Yeah, to, to, to Tom's point, I mean, what's going to happen, maybe it's already, but we haven't heard enough. Once this, share, once this item is on shareholder board meetings, yes. uh, they, they've invested in these companies for, uh, for, whatever, for many different reasons, but the, the net net of it, is this company vulnerable? That, that's going to pressure on a lot of people. You know, if you, if you think about it, you've got a scenario here where we, we can't even get robocalls screened. <laughs> right. People are going to be very upset. Right. And we're expecting a lot more now. Right. And unsur- insurance, too, is part of this. Like insurance yeah. companies, like, you know, all that's going to be a big part of it, too. So thanks, guys. I want to thank my guest today, Bill Gormley, president of the Gormley Group. Uh, Chair of the Coalition for Government Procurement and Tom Sisti, Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Coalition for Government Procurement. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.